This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitzmorris. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, walking the dogs across the field on this lovely uh, wintry day, uh, or whatever you're doing, sitting at home, whatever. Thank you. Thank you for joining us uh, for another Poetry in Motion. Much, uh, much obliged. Uh, we are going to talk all things Liverpool Football Club as usual. Of course, I'm joined by uh, two members and two journalists from the Liverpool Echo. It's Mad, uh, Matt Addison. Sorry, I had a chocolate before we started. Never a good idea to be chocolate just before you start speaking. It clags you up. Uh, and Mark Wakefield as well. How are you, boys? You OK, I'll talk to you first. Matt, how you doing, pal? Yeah, really good, mate. Thank you. It's uh, obviously been a, a busy 48 hours or 24 hours, isn't it? It's not even been 48 hours yet. It certainly feels like it. But yeah, it's uh, an exciting time, isn't it? I'm sure we'll get into it. I'm sure we will, Mark, as well. For you, my friends, have you been scurrying around trying to dot the I's and cross the T's over Liverpool's latest uh, foray into the, um, into the transfer market? Well, first of all, mate, I think I'm trying to actually believe that Liverpool are actually trying to uh, are willing to pay some money out for a signing in January. Isn't it? This is uncharted territory, certainly in recent years. Uh, but myself personally, I was actually off yesterday, so I was actually quite fortunate not to uh, to deal with all the furore of the news breaking. But yeah, it's certainly an exciting one, that's for sure. It absolutely is. Well, you know, <clears throat> every now and again, Liverpool sneak in, don't they? The sneaky boots tactics are back. The clandestine signings that we were used to back in the 70s and 80s, the old days. Um, you know, we went through a bout of sort of everything, everything being bounced around the media uh, in recent years. Um, but this time, we all, I guess as Red fans, we all thought we were sl- uh, slinking in and out of the January uh, market without, uh, without buying anyone. It has been the case quite a while. Uh, quite a few times in recent years. Um, Klopp didn't give anything away. The club didn't give, give anything away. But uh, Luis Diaz, all but the ink drying on the contract, uh, is about to become a Liverpool player, Matt. Just uh, um, give us a little bit of insight, if you possibly can. No doubt you've been looking up a lot about the kid, but um, left-sided midfield player, as you make left-sided winger, uh, what does he bring or what will he bring to uh, Liverpool Football Club, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a player that I've not personally seen a lot of, but obviously been um, playing against Liverpool a couple of times this season in the, the Champions League. So Liverpool have, have seen him up close. And, you know, I've spoken to, to a lot of people in, in Portugal, a couple of people in Colombia as well. I watched the, the Colombia game on, on Friday night. He didn't do a great deal, to be honest, in that. But it was uh, a little bit reminded me of, of the Mohamed Salah type thing at, at AFCON, where obviously we know Mohamed Salah is an unbelievable player. But if people have, have kind of watched those games, you wouldn't know it because it's such a, a defensive system that they're up against. It's it's really hard to play against. So, look, he's, he's a hugely exciting player. He obviously, as you say, plays off the left in that kind of Sadio Mane type role. That's the the kind of, of comparison really that's been drawn whenever I've spoken to people. It's been, you know, what what does this mean for Sadio Mane type thing? Because it's it's a player who plays in the same position. There are certain comparisons that I think can be drawn. One of the big things for me in terms of, of his style, he's, he's very good at dribbling. He's very hard working player. You can see how he kind of fits into to this Liverpool team, but he's very good with his head as well. He's, he's one of those that I think could possibly benefit from, you know, a Trent Alexander-Arnold switch uh, a few times. He's a player that, that pops up with a few goals with his head, which obviously is, is the same for, for Mane and, and Jota as well. So I think he, he very much fits into what Liverpool want. He's very much a, a goal scoring player. That's kind of been something that's clicked into gear really this season. It's not something that we've seen from Luis Diaz in, in previous seasons, which again is is interesting in itself. Liverpool have 
obviously seen enough in the first six months of, of this season to convince them that this is something that he can continue long term. But he's he, he's very much a player sort of over the last 12 months or so has, has really clicked, uh, clicked into gear and, and kicked on within his career. I think that the, the line that, that we got from, from Portugal really was that before this season, he was kind of doing it one in four, one in five games. Whereas this season, it's it's pretty much been every game he's either scored an incredible goal or dribbled past five players and scored or done something incredible. You know, the, the real consistency has, has come into his game this season. And Liverpool obviously think there's there's another level to, to be unlocked as well. We've seen it with with plenty of, of players before. Diogo Jota, for example, who's obviously been at, at Porto as well in the past. He's come to Liverpool and, and been so much more. So at the moment, a hugely exciting player, but I still think there's there's a lot more to come from him in a, a Liverpool shirt as well. Absolutely. And Mark, given uh, that Jürgen Klopp tends to buy players and progress them even better than they were before he bought them, uh, I think one of the stats I read on, on Diaz is 14 goals in 18 games or something very, very encouraging like that. Um, Mark, he didn't really want to dip into the market, I don't think, till, uh, till the beginning of the next uh, campaign, but I think Tottenham uh, uh, in particular were interested from other clubs, kind of forced his hand and uh, and uh, in we struck, but good to know that Diaz has looked at it and thought, well, yeah, I know where I want to go. I want to go to Liverpool. It uh, bodes well for the future, Mark. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's you know, good on both sides, you know, that Liverpool actually being very proactive in you know going out and willing to splash this kind of money. I think talk about 37 million up front with potential 12, 12 and a half million round about that figure. So potentially 50 million pounds for a player that like I say, it's very easy to say, oh, it's only played in Portugal, but you know, a lot of world-class players have come from that league and gone on to do incredibly well at some of the Europe and the world's biggest clubs. Um, yeah, I think Liverpool basically wanted to wait until the summer to try and get him. I think that's, the news or the rumblings that's going around saying Klopp wants him to be his priority signing for at the end of the season but Spurs get, or maybe I think Manchester United I think have been linked as well but mainly Spurs have been the club that have been have tipped to possibly make a move this month and I think hearing that and Klopp basically saying you know, we don't want that to happen he's, our, he's the one that we want there's no other alternatives and has persuaded the club to go and try and get this deal, deal done over the line and, you know, considering it's happening essentially thousands of miles away over in Argentina. That's going to be a tricky one to deal with. A couple of days left in the window, but you know, if things are done Porto's end, if things are done his end, and all what's left is the medical, then it should get done by Monday's deadline. Hopefully, it'll be well. And it tells you something, doesn't it, Matt? That, that they've sort of scudded into you know battle mode, if you like, to go and sign him because because of of other clubs coming. And it tells you quite a lot about what Jurgen Klopp thinks of this player and the potential that he holds. Uh, in the role uh, playing on that left side of of, uh, of uh, midfield, a sort of left left winger, it says a lot, doesn't it, that, to feel that they've gone. Look, just get him. I don't want him signing a three or four year deal with someone else. Um, so that is encouraging in itself, isn't it? The, the potential that Jurgen Klopp, because when he makes his mind up, mate, and he wants you as a player, uh, it already is a sort of a, a gold standard, isn't it? The kind of player you are if he is after you. Yeah, it's it's very much one that Liverpool, I think, would have probably preferred to have done in the summer, but they've decided that, you know, if they were going to do it, they had to do it now and, and didn't really have a choice. So I think it's it's promising that, it, you know, they're already thinking along these lines. They're already looking ahead to this deal. And I think Tottenham have, have sort of pushed them into it. I know Manchester United have, have kind of denied that they were ever interested in him, which I suppose, you know, they, they would do whether they were or not, having now missed out on him, supposedly. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. But certainly, Antonio Conte wanted him at Tottenham and that kind of pressed Liverpool into action. So 
it, it just goes to show to, to me really that you know the, the kind of transfer plan that, that Liverpool have under Michael Edwards and soon to be Julian Ward, who I believe has has taken a big role in in this particular transfer as well, which bodes well for the future in terms of of what he could do as as a sporting director. I think it, it just shows the the kind of fluidity really. If if a, a player is is available at the right price and, and Liverpool are convinced on him, then they will go out and, and spend that money at, at certain times. And you know that's what they've they've been prepared to to do at, at this moment in time. I think it's a big statement of intent. It gives him six months to really settle in at, at Liverpool, adjust to life before next season, you know, as opposed to obviously come in in the, the summer and starting that process then. I think, you know, long and, and short term for Liverpool, obviously can play in the Champions League. Liverpool have got a cup final to come up with, only nine points off Manchester City. It just gives gives everyone a boost, really. And, you know, as much as, as Liverpool were prepared to, to wait until the summer, the fact that they've been forced into doing it now, I don't think is is ever going to be a bad thing. I think the, the sooner you get him in, the, the better really to, to bolster those forward ranks. Yeah, absolutely. Our market, you know, it is going to be, it's a really positive move for Liverpool. It's a positive thing for the fans as well to see someone of that calibre come in. Um, maybe not too positive for Sadio Mane. I don't really know. I mean, the thing is, you know, we all want Sadio Mane. He's a hero. He's a ledger with us already. He has been showing signs of, uh, of kind of poor form at times, certainly in front of goal. Do you think this is the kind of thing that Liverpool uh, needed to do to, uh, first and foremost, raise Mane's game, give him, give him something to look over the shoulder for, to have a player waiting to, to, to go in? Do you think it's the kind of thing where they will uh, obviously allow Mane to keep playing where he's playing? Or will it be a case of trying to incorporate Diaz and Mane? In which case, where does that leave Jota? Is this just good? For strengthening the squad, and uh, and it's something that uh, if Manny continues to sort of dip below his own standards, we can bring someone on who can um, who can make him book up his ideas a little bit. Uh, I think it's combinations of both, really. I mean, I think mainly it's just to try and add that extra depth and quality. You know, we've seen you know, Manny and Salah going off to Afcon, and obviously Cato as well. But up front, you know, they've been left with the bare bones up front on the wide areas. You know, Kay Gorn's played a couple of games, um, the cup and. In the cup games and Minamino has uh, played as well. Origi's unfortunately been injured for him, but you know, despite Liverpool getting through these games in January, you know, the quality still hasn't been quite there up front. I think <clears throat> partly that, and obviously Spurs moving in the way they had has obviously prompted them to go. We want our first choice target, which he is. So um, yeah, I think you no know, competition can't be a bad thing. You know, you look at Man City, you look at Chelsea, you've got you no. Know, Plenty of strength and depth, certainly in the forward areas. When you look at Man City, you know, they've got about six or seven players who you can interchange in the front three, um, and no one really complains about that. So I think it's just about having options. I think, you know, in the case of Diaz, I think it's mainly going to be about next season because, you know, give these these next six months and bed him in and let him learn, you know, the language, the culture of the city, the learn his teammates and how to play the team, which, you know, seems like a talented boy. So he should be able to do quite comfortably, you know, given that. The club's putting so much confidence spending that kind of money at this time of year in him. But yeah, for Marnie, I mean, I, I can't see it as being a bad thing. You know, they brought in Simicast at left back and Robertson raised his game. You know, Jota's come in and, you know, for me, you know, and Salah have all have seemed to have gone on to another game to try and make sure that they stay on the team as well. So, you know, hopefully from the competitive side of Marnie, you know, he's going to, you know, think, oh, I know lads coming in, from, which is basically my replacement, if you like, if you know, whatever happens with the contract situation, which is in 18 months' time, that's another conversation in itself with that. But no, I can't see it as being a bad thing. All it's going to do is just provide that added competition. You know, Diaz, you know, he seems like a competitive lad. You can see how he plays. You know, he's very, you know, once again, to the opposition, like drive with his dribbling and his skill and pace. So 
he'll be determined to get in the team, but Marnie will be equally determined not to let his place go. So it bodes well to have these talented boys competing for the same spot. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. AFCON reaches, of course, the quarterfinals. We've got Gambia against Cameroon, the Burkina Faso against Tunisia, and then, of course, the ones that uh, Liverpool fans are more uh, interested in. Egypt play Morocco tomorrow at three o'clock, and Senegal uh, against Equatorial Guinea uh, at uh, seven o'clock tomorrow, so three o'clock and seven o'clock. Um, presuming they're going to march on, I would imagine Senegal may have too much for Equatorial Guinea. Um, and probably Egypt as well. Um, this whole idea before Afghan started that we were only going to lose Mane and Salah for two games was the most optimistic um, uh, stat I've ever seen, I think, because it's, it's, it's more than that. Obviously, we've got another week off before we play Cardiff. I think it's Cardiff our next game. I think we've got Cardiff next, haven't we? Uh, but we want to try and get um, Salah and, um, and Mane back uh, as soon as possible and in as, as fit as possible. Obviously, we all had a, a bit of a heart and mouth uh, moments when uh, Mane was injured uh, with a clash with the goalkeeper. Um, <clears throat> I think the goalkeeper was sent off as well a bit later on in retrospect uh, when he played his last game for Senegal. But um, hoping that they come out. Um, so possibly if they both lose tomorrow, we get them back a lot earlier. But we need to get those two back in, don't we? Integrate it back into the side as soon as possible, Matt, um, uh, before this uh, the, the, the fixture pile-up starts again. Yeah, I mean the, the the two games thing. I mean it, it's two league games, isn't it? That was that was the thing. And Liverpool have beaten both Crystal Palace and Brentford in those two league games, so they've done all right there. Obviously, got through in the FA Cup. You wouldn't imagine that Salah Romano would play against Cardiff City anyway, even if they were here. So probably that one doesn't particularly matter too much. And, and of course, they've beaten Arsenal in the the semi final in that time as well. So they've done all right in that period. But you are right. Obviously, you want them to to be back as as soon as possible. I think. There's probably a good chance that one of them gets to the final, possibly two of them. I think they're on opposite sides of the draw, so it could be Salah versus Mane in the final. If I'm if I'm right in that, it's certainly going to be Salah versus Mane in the playoff for the World Cup. I do know that for sure. So, it'd be interesting to to watch that later in the year as as that kind of happens. But yeah, I think look, even if even if one or both gets to the final, they should still both be back to to play Leicester on that Thursday after the the Cardiff game. So, I think that the worst of it has kind of have been over now. I think. There's enough players in there to, to be able to, you know, put a decent side out against Cardiff. I think there will be a lot of changes in there. Like I say, I wouldn't have, have thought that either of those two players would have played in, in that game anyway. But obviously, if you can sort of get them back, Naby Keita obviously back, he can have a little bit of a rest, have a little bit of a, a break. I think that would, would certainly be helpful because, you know, we're, we're going to have probably two games a week, pretty much every week from, you know, when they return all the way through to, to the end of the season. Then it's only a short break, of course, with next season starting a little bit earlier because of, of the World Cup as well. So, yeah, plenty of, of matches to come for Liverpool. Probably makes sense for, for one of them to, to go out, even if one of them goes all the way. But, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to, to kind of see what happens. I think, you know, worst case scenario is one of them wins it, is the absolute sort of hero, the legend in their country and, and gets a, a confidence boost from that. So, even if they go all the way, I don't think it would be. Uh, I don't think it would be the worst thing actually for Liverpool. No, absolutely. And Mark, as well as Matt has said, Liverpool have handled the league games without the two big main stars, um, and uh, and just keep marching on. It's all we can do, Mark, isn't it? I mean, City drop points uh, against Southampton—a really dogged display uh, from Southampton—but they just sort of pegged them back towards the end. Held on for a one-one draw. Uh, two points gone already. A game in hand, nine behind. 
Uh, if we win that game in hand, I think possibly you're looking at the most important game, if it isn't anyway in the Premier League for Liverpool these days. But uh, going to the Etihad um, with, I think, six or seven games still to go after that. I think it's the seventh from the end of the season. So we'd have six games after it. Liverpool going to the Etihad and getting something is is the will possibly be the, the defining moment in the season, Mark. Yeah, possibly. I mean, there's still probably another 10 or so games to go between now and then. I mean, yeah, it always has been an enthralling game with the exception of, um, I think it was the uh, project restart when it was behind closed doors and Liverpool had won the league a, few, a couple of days before and it was just that City won 4-0. But, you know, every other game at the Etihad or even at Anfield has always been an enthralling contest. But, you know, from Liverpool's point of view, I, to be honest, I don't think they'll be paying too much for attention on City or what City are doing. You know, you know they're a, rel- a relentless machine with the exception of when they drew with Southampton. You know, they won what, 11, 12 games on the spin of the league, which is absolutely mind-blowing when you think about it in competitiveness of this league. And, you know, with that factoring Kobe on top of that as well. Um, I just think, from Liverpool's focus will be just be as, as always one game at a time. But I think if if they've got got it right, they'll be thinking about the cup games. You no, know, they've got a League Cup final against Chelsea, which you know people say oh it's only the League Cup. You no, know, and it's still a major trophy. You know Liverpool have won it. No teams won it more than City have won it just as many times as them now with eight. But you know it's still another trophy in the cabinet which can go towards you no know, other things. They've got the Champions League against with which starts against Inter Milan next month, which is not going to be an easy game, uh, easy two games, but. They'll still be thinking, you know, let's go all the way and try and get number seven. And then you've got the FA Cup, which you know, the last time we won it was 16 years ago, which is far, far too long for a club of Liverpool stature. Um, you know, 2006 against against West Ham. So, you know, it's far, far too long. But with the hopeful arrival of Diaz, you know, they'll have a lot more strength up front. Um, going back to Salo Mane, you know, as I agree with Matt, they won't, I don't think they'll play against Cardiff anyway, but... That last game on the 30, which I think is on the 10th, which I think is about four days after the final of AFCON, which is on the 6th. So, you know, worst case scenario, if they both reach the final, in theory, they should be back in Liverpool for the, the time for that game. But whether they'll be involved is another matter because they'll be heavily fatigued from playing a, in a heavily congested tournament. So, yeah, no, I can't see them paying too much attention, well, paying too much attention to what City are doing. You know, just got to let them keep on doing what they're doing. And then if they're within, you know, half a dozen points or so by the time they get to that game of the Etihad and then if they in theory win that game, you know, get it back to within, you know, one result's worth of points, then anything can happen at this point. But for me, I think their focus at this point's got to be on winning the cups because in theory a treble is still on the cards. As unlikely as it is, you know, it's still potentially there. And you know, the arrival of Diaz strengthening that forward line which has been an Achilles heel if you like once Salomani have gone, you know, that should leave them better stead to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Exciting times. You mentioned something earlier on, Matt, uh, and I just want to highlight it. You mentioned something um, about uh, Trent, Trent switch passes and Diaz being able to get on the end of them maybe and doing utilising them. And I just wanted to to, to highlight something that, that, that was shown on um, on the Echo's website, uh, the LFC website. Uh, John Muller from The Athletic, I must, I must credit him for this stat. But this is just an extraordinary highlight of... of, of of um, Trent Alexander-Arnold and what he has been doing over the last few seasons because it's easy to forget just what he's been doing as a footballer, as a very, very young footballer from the moment he, he burst onto the big stage. There's just some stats here. Now, obviously, you guys will know this, but progressive passes are a stat that Opta um, call any kind of pass that's twenty five. It's between 25 yards and 30 yards, I think. Um, 
the progressive a team on. So it's a 25. So basically it's a long pass, isn't it? Um, and it, it, John Muller's uh, stat is this. 50 Premier League players have four progressive passes from open play per 90 minutes. 21 players have five. Five players have six. Two players have seven. No players have eight, nine or ten. Trent Alexander-Arnold has 11. This kid is just redefining football, isn't he? He's redefining football from his position. Um, you know, he, he plays, I mean, in the last couple of games, you know, Fabinho's goal that he he, he rakes a long pass to. Josses was even further away. These passes that are significantly over 25 uh, yards. He's, he's redefining these stats, isn't he? In 2017 and 2018, Alexander-Arnold completed 5.8 progressive passes. I'm oh, sorry if this is getting statty, people, but it's worth it for every 90 minutes. That was in 2017, 2018. And that rose to seven uh, the following season, then 7.8 in the campaign in which Liverpool won the league. 2020-21 wasn't a good season for us, but he still moved up to 8.3 progressive passes um, and now even more. So he's, he's actually increased it every single season. He's just breaking his own records. This kid is a different level, isn't he, Matt? Yeah, I mean, you, you run out of things to, to say about him, don't you? Which is is worrying because I think he's only twenty three, so he's still got another decade or more to to continue to improve and, and get better. Which is it's just remarkable, isn't it? What he's won, what he's achieved, that the levels that he's at, and like you say, he's very much redefined what it is to be a right back. I think even this season alone, we've seen a, a new sort of element from him in terms of the kind of central positions that he was taking up. I remember. You know, watching the the Newcastle game, I was sat slightly closer to to the pitch than what I normally am. Normally, I'm a, a little bit further away, but you could really just tell that he was basically stood in the centre circle for the entirety of the game. He, he he is a right back, a midfielder, a number ten. You know, you, you think of the goal. Was it in that that game that he scored the the goal from range? I think it might have been. That was like in a kind of Sadio Mane left side front three position that he was in. He, he's just doing every element of, of the game brilliantly. And it's, like I say, it's it's hard to come up with something new to to say about him. He's such, you know, a fundamental part of, of the way that Liverpool play. And yeah, it's it's absolutely scary to, to think what he could achieve. You, you just hope that, you know, for, for his career, I know Liverpool will, will come first, but there's, there's a World Cup at the end of the year. And I'm sure plenty of times between now and then we're going to be talking about, is Gareth Southgate going to pick him? Is he going to play? Is he going to be in the squad? It shouldn't even be a conversation. It should be a case of of England building that team around him because you know he is just quite simply that good. Yeah, he is, Mark. And Ian Wright, of course, former Arsenal player and uh, often big ups a lot of Liverpool players. Loves, I think he just seems to be a fan of the way Liverpool play football. He's another one who's just saying that this kid is playing on an entirely different level than everyone else, and he makes ping and 40, 40 yard passes just look simple, doesn't he, Mark? He's that far ahead, and I think sometimes Liverpool fans we can kind of take for granted what he does and. You know, every now and again, I'll be watching it with my kids and one of my kids will go, Trent's having a poor one. I go, well, you have to define poor because very much like in the old days of Stephen Gerrard, Mark, Stephen Gerrard poor performances were usually probably a seven. You know, um, and I know that obviously, you know, if he has any kind of um, Achilles heel, it is in the more defensive side of things. But that's because he's allowed to push forward a lot and, and is often kind of rushed back to, to cover his position. But all in all, mate, I mean... This kid is is between him and Robertson, but this this kid for a young man has has really kind of redefined the way Liverpool play as well, hasn't he? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know that Achilles heel you mentioned there. It's often the thing that rival fans always try and mention. 
Um, you know, I think that's a bit of a myth, to be honest. You know, you see a lot you now. It's, it's defensively, I think, is it is improved massively. You know, he's been quite in the right positions a lot. Like you say, he's often taking up forward areas, he's getting up to the bylines. Always like like Matt said, there he's often find himself in the centre circle. I mean, some of the forty-five yard passes that we've seen from him, it's just just brings back memories of what Gerard used to do, just like to spread the play out to the left wing or to the right wing, whichever position he's in, and just try and get a little pull up the pitch. And I think he's the only one besides maybe Van Dyke who can is capable of doing those sorts of passes. And you know, Van Dyke's a centre back who often has the whole pitch um at his mercy to play a pass too, whereas Alexander Arnold, albeit as a right back, he's now find himself in these central areas. Now Ian Wright there, you know, I think he's one of many who um quick to praise him you know i mean now he is comfortably i think the right best right back in england i think quite we see i think see quite often recently you know i think um killian mbappe tweeted you know that ashraf hakimi his teammate at psg you know is uh the best right back in in the world by when he scored for morocco and I think how often are we having these conversations that it's trent versus hakimi trent versus reese james trent versus carl walker you know trent's always seen as the benchmark in these conversations i think that says it all that these all these other players keep bring, being brought in as you know comparisons to him, but you know he is the one that has redefined what a good right back is. You know, we think back to Daniel Alves at Barcelona under Pep Guardiola's side, who basically redefined what a fullback is, let alone a right back. But you know, now Trent's doing it again a decade on later, and you know now you're seeing basically you know every top class team wants to play the way you know like Liverpool, Man City do, but also want to play the way their fullbacks do, like. Trent and Robertson who are setting, you know, a new benchmark in how, you know, they a team's attack, you know, like back in the days of when like you know how Liverpool had, you know, their fullbacks, you know, Stephen left uh, Stephen and players like that, Arvar Abelo, those sorts of players, you know. Now those days are gone and now it's you know, how can they affect the attacking third of the game? And you know, a bad game for Trent isn't if he's let a goal in, it's if he's not providing the assist or got in a few key passes or crosses, you know. Like you say it's just completely Redefining what a right back is, what a you know, a, a creative playmaker is. Recently, uh, to be honest, so you know the scary, like you say, the scary thing is he is only twenty three years old. You know that makes me feel old that he's young, a few years younger than me. Um, but now yeah, let's say all, all we can do is you no know, hope he keeps on going from an England point of view. You know, like Matt said, there England should be building this team around him, but that's not the way Southgate plays, and that's a different argument that we had last summer. We're sure we're going to have. In a few months' time, when conversations about England crop up again, but you know, my person, my personal opinion is I couldn't care less as long as he's doing it uh, for a little in a little bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not go anywhere with his age, pal. Because um, I'm probably I'm probably older than the pair you put together. Uh, <laughs> now, he is extraordinary. And when you think of how the counterbalance on the other side, Randy Robertson is, it is a frightening prospect to have them two turned down. But it's great to know that there isn't really an imbalance. That Andy Robertson gives as good as he gets. Um, supplied a couple himself. Over the last couple of games, isn't he? And, and um, of course, with Simicast, we've got that kind of cover uh, for Robertson. Really, Simicast really has proved himself to be a kind of a worthy um, uh, deputy for for anything happened to Andy Robertson. Um, hard to find one that would fit into the shoes of Trent, though, isn't it? I guess with what he does, uh, you know, you know, Reese Williams does a great job. There's no doubt about that. He's a good kid, and he's getting better and better and better. But um, it would be really, really difficult. I mean, I guess there's a lot of Reds probably saying, "Oh, we need to get." A bit of backup for that position in case Trent in case Trent gets injured, but really hard to find anyone who can who can do half the things that he can do, Matt. 
Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It's it's such a difficult position to uh, to kind of replicate, as you say. I think Nico Williams has done well, but I think there'll come a point where he probably wants to go and, and play regularly. And to be honest, I think at the majority of, of Premier League clubs, more than you know, more than not, he could go and, and do that and, and make the right back spot his own. But of course, at Liverpool, that's just impossible to do. It's it's no slight on on Williams's ability because you know he's as we've said, coming up against the, the best player in the world. So it's going to be going to be interesting. I think there's there's certainly a price at which Liverpool would consider selling Nico Williams, whether you know that comes before Monday's deadline, I'm not sure. Possibly it could come in the summer one way or the other. I think there's there's a kind of a point in, in Nico Williams's career of kind of deciding that he wants to, to move on and play regularly. And then it's a case of, of what the Liverpool do. Personally, I don't think... Connor Bradley is, is quite ready yet, but then you've got that dilemma of, you know, who who do you bring in? How do you sell it to them that you can come in and, and be Trent Alexander-Arnold's backup? Unless there's a kind of, of Costa Simicas repeat, then, you know, it, it, it is very difficult. I mean, even, even with Simicas, I think there'll come a point in two or three years' time where if he's still, you know, playing second fiddle to, to Robertson, there might be a case for, for him maybe to even go and, and move on because, again, pretty much any club, Champions League clubs included, he could go in and, and make an impact and and be a regular for them. So it's a difficult balance to, to kind of strike. I wonder if there's something maybe in the summer that Liverpool can look at, possibly a player that can play maybe holding midfield and right back and then kind of do do both of those things to, to cover Fabinho and, and cover that, but but also to play right back if if Liverpool need him to. I think the there might be a creative solution to, to to try and find, but you know, in terms of, of actual names, I'm not sure who that would be. That would be you know something for for the scouting team to think about. But they're going to have to think about it carefully and, and do something because you do need you do need obvious backup to Trent because we've seen him. He does get injuries at, at certain times, like any other player. But like you say, it's it's almost an impossible task, really. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Um, from Sunday, the 6th of February, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six games um, in February alone. And of course, that culminates uh, on the 27th of Feb with the uh, the cup final. Uh, Liverpool, uh, the quadruple is on, Mark. Um, now, bearing in mind the, the task we've got on to try and catch United um, is is is... I wouldn't say it's unsurmountable, but it's a really, really difficult one. It's one that it isn't by any means beyond us. Um, but when you come to a, a, an EFL Cup final, um, Liverpool haven't won it for a while, but they have a history of winning it, of course, as you said before, eight times, I think. Um, how do you think Jurgen Klopp approaches this? It's Chelsea in the final. Um, you know, you'd argue that Tuchel is probably going to throw a bigger hand in there because, because um, you know, league-wise, there's a lot less for him to look into, really, as far as silverware is concerned this season. But for Klopp, of course, he's still got all major fronts that he's battling on. How does he see this final, do you think, Mark? How does he, what kind of team does he play? Does he go all out? It is the final. Does he think it's only one more game? We might as well push for it as much as possible. Or does he sort of hedge his bets? What What do you think he, he would do approaching that final? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I can't, I don't begin to try and predict Klopp's uh, team selections in the League Cup because times there's been times when he's put you now the reserves out to a, for lack of a better term, and there's been times when he's put a full strength side out. I mean, with the exception of Kelleher uh, in goal, I think it probably will be. Me personally, I think he'll go 
all out full strength because, like I say, it is a cup final. It would be a cup final. He's desperate to win. You know, he's been to the final before in um, in 2016 against Man City and lost. So he knows what it's like to lose in, in this final. And, you know, he doesn't like losing. You know, the last final Liverpool got to was the, uh, the Club World Cup final, I think I'm from right. So, and they won that. So they've got a history of winning finals recently. But, you know, you don't get, Liverpool don't get to domestic finals very often. You know, this is the first domestic final they've got to since that uh, time against uh, Man City in 2016. You know, six years is a long time not to get to a domestic final. You know, they've done a lot in the league in that time. You know, they won the Champions League, got to the final twice. But, you know, winning something domestically, you know, it does bring a different kind of joy because you've got the better of your opponents in the, in the same country rather than abroad, which, you know, there's a different level of joy. But, no, it is going to be an interesting one because, you know, I've... I've I don't think it matters who the opponent is. I think the fact that it's Chelsea means it's absolutely incredibly certain that it's going to be a full-strength team. If it had been someone like, say, I don't know, hypothetically, you know, a lower mid-table Premier League side, I think he might have said, well, let's hedge our bets a little bit, but I don't think he'll be taking any chances. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, if Diaz, if he comes to the club and then he, if he's involved, you know, what uh, situation Marnie's fitness is in, you know, with being at AFCON, there'll be back and Merseyside for about best spots of three or four weeks by that time or three weeks by that time. Um, he's got two Champions League games or eight, a single Champions League game, the first leg against Inter in that next month. They've got Cardiff in the FA Cup, you know, see what happens with that, you know, hopefully they progress. And then this, like you say, the quadruple may mathematically still technically be on, but yeah, I think it, Loads of taking taking it each game as it comes, and uh, it, it was a weekend. Thankfully, it's not in a random Thursday night. Now um, they've got to try and sandwich it in. You know, it is a weekend, so they'll treat it as a major fixture. I can't remember exactly who the games are on the side of that game, but you know, I, I don't think it really matters. I think they'll just treat this as you know any other big big game, which it is. It is I say it is a final. No, no, this no. Attitude they've got towards the League Cup that is not as important. Well, I think as soon as you get to you know, the, the quarter-final stage, you know, it is a major, major thing to try and win. And thankfully, you know, Liverpool are there. They've got a chance to do it and they won't want to take it lightly. You know, it's Chelsea. It's not going to be an easy game. You know, they're a very, very good side. They've not had the best of form in recent weeks or month, last month or so. But you know, Thomas Dujal sets his side up and they're not going to be easy to beat. So I don't think Klopp will be taking any chances with his team. No, absolutely. And as you said before, it is sandwiched between, of course, the uh, Group of 16 uh, um, uh, Champions League matches with Inter. <clears throat> I'll just read out what these games are, because phenomenally, it's, it's, it, there are eight matches and six of them are home, which is uh, something you don't see very, very often, isn't it? Uh, we have Cardiff, of course, the fourth round of the FA Cup, which is Sunday the 6th of February, 12 o'clock kickoff. Uh, then we've got Leicester at home. Um, which is the 10th of Feb, uh, quarter away kickoff. Then we've got Burnley away, one of the only two away matches we've got within this little uh, group of eight games. Burnley away, 13th of Feb. Then we've got Inter away on the 16th of Feb. That's an eight o'clock kickoff. And incidentally, Burnley's is two o'clock. Uh, all different kind of kickoffs all the time nowadays. Um, and then we have uh, Leicester, uh, sorry, we have Liverpool Norwich, 19th of Feb. You could argue that uh, just before the Chelsea uh, Cup final. You can, you can argue that you could probably field a weaker team against Norwich in a, in a, a home game in Anfield. Uh, maybe take some of your play, bigger players, Matt, leave them on the bench, try and see if we can put Norwich away, another three points on the board, um, uh, and then try and sort of, you know, save it for the um, for the 27th, which is obviously a week later. It's not too bad. We've got recovery times in between them. It's not like they're all jammed in. 19th of Feb is, is Norwich. 27th of Feb is Chelsea. So you could argue maybe... Put a, a decent squad out there against Norwich. You know, Norwich 
fighting for survival could put on a real show, but it's at home. Um, leave the big guns on the on the bench, see how we're doing, and then bring them on to try and affect the game, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd do it the, almost the other way around in terms of Inter just being before that Norwich game. I think I'd go all out in that, maybe rest a couple if you have to against Norwich. But if you can sort of go again and, and get a couple of goals up and, and take them off, that might be the way of doing it because of obviously the, uh, the, the way the fixtures are. There is, at the moment, at least a, a free midweek. I mean, there is that Leeds game that we don't know when is going to be rescheduled yet. There's not that many free midweeks. It could could be that one potentially. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that Liverpool would push for that given that obviously it's Chelsea at the, the weekend and they've got you know important games in and around that. They'd probably rather it wasn't that week to, to keep themselves free ahead of that of this big game in the, the cup final against Chelsea. But yeah, I think there's... I mean, it, to be honest, whichever, whichever team you put out against these teams, whether it was... You know, going strong or all week against Norwich, you'd fancy Liverpool to to get the result because they've just got that squad depth now. Obviously, Luis Diaz is is going to help that considerably. They've got you know players that you can kind of make five, six, seven changes, which you know a, a few seasons ago you'd be you'd be really really worried if you went into a Premier League game and had made you know six, seven changes from from midweek in the the Champions League. But now, I mean, you could bring in. Costa Simicas, you could bring in Joe Gomez that we've hardly seen. You could bring in, you know, a couple of players into the midfield. You're going to have Harvey Elliott back, hopefully at some point in the next couple of weeks. You know, there's 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 just so many options that Liverpool have got that, like I say, you could make pretty much what you would term wholesale changes and and still be pretty confident of of Liverpool winning. So, yeah, be interesting to see how they they go about it. I think, you know, the the league and and the Champions League will still be priorities, but. You know, when you're in a cup final, I think you've got to take that as seriously as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, completely forgetting the people coming back as well. But Mark, we've also got, you know, Naby Keita to put in the mix. And Thiago, who hopefully after all uh, this break um, is going to be back to uh, to full fitness and, and, and ready to nudge into the first team as well. So looking good, of course. Um, Harvey Elliott as well, who has made an extraordinary um, way ahead of schedule kind of um uh, injury uh, boost for him because he, he's not he's knocking on the door soon. So things looking good. What we've got to do now, Mark, is the small matter of I've sorting out um, Mo Salah's contract. Um, still seems to be up in the air, rumblings in either side. I think we're pretty sure now that he's asked for this £400,000 a week. Um, is that, I think, the priority after this Luis Diaz, which has been a bit of a bump in the road that hopefully we've negotiated that seems to be the next thing that Liverpool will have to do is just nail this down, get it sorted and get it to bed. Yeah, I mean, say bringing up the subject of Mo Salah's contract right at the tail end of the pod, that's a, that's a nice thing to do. It's not a, a small matter of discussing keeping arguably the best player at the world, in the world at the club for a small matter of £400,000 a week. I mean, you know, that's what goes behind closed doors with the uh, the wages, obviously, is their business. I mean, I think if we're led to believe it's £400,000 a week and he wants to be paid the same amount of money as Kevin De Bruyne um, at Man City, which is roughly around about that. Supposedly, you can't exactly blame him if he wants that amount of money. Um, another thing that Liverpool have to be careful with that he doesn't completely rip up their wage structure, their, their plan that they have with the rest of the players because you know, if they suddenly see Salah on four hundred grand a week, then other players, um, both ones already there and ones coming to the club, will say, well, I might see myself, you know, wants to be not necessarily the same amount of money, but not quite far behind him. And then you're chasing your tails a little bit with paying these wages out to players. And another thing you've got to factor in is his age. You know, he's 29, he'll be you know, 30 when his contract runs out. Um, you know, I've got no doubts that he'll be able to continue playing 
certainly, if not the same level, uh, close to the same level, well into his 30s, similar to what um, you know Ronaldo, Messi and other world-class players have done. But you know, it's not the way Liverpool's model is or has been since uh, FSG's come in, certainly since Klopp's been there. But nothing. there are certain exceptions you've got to do when you've got a player who's not just as good as he is, but as influential as he is. You know, it's not just his goals. He's got the second most assists in the Premier League this season. Have everybody, you know, Trent's obviously got the most, but Salah's just behind him. Add to the fact that he's the top goal scorer, and you know, just his all-round play of the way he influences the attack. You know, he draws players to opposition players to him, so that frees up the other players as well. So there's so many things that he's so important to the Liverpool team besides his goals. And you know, when you've got a player who's as generational as he is you know you've got to just get him tied down do whatever you can but they've got to be careful that they don't pay silly amounts of money a week for for him but no like i say it is trying to find the right balance and that's why mostly most likely why it's taking this long because they've got to try and find the right balance it's not the same as wine album where it was the last year and you know he wanted what four or five years on a pay increase that that's a completely different situation wine album as good as he was wasn't as influential on the team is what Salah is um but I say the problem is if you don't give Salah a new contract what do you do do you let him go you don't let him go on a free uh in 12 months time or in at the end of next season and how do you replace him you know so there's loads of things and all the when you factor in all the variables you've got to think you know tying him down is absolute must you know what they do with wages wise obviously it's their business but you now for me if he wants this amount of money that he's reportedly been asking for, then you know, I think just got to, it's very easy to say, just give it to him. But you know, I can't, when you're factoring all what I've just said there, you know, it's hard to find another way around it, unfortunately. Absolutely. And if he wins AFCON, it'll go up even more. <laughs> no, uh, it is a tricky one, Matt, isn't it? We've discussed it before. It's, we're, we're raking over all ground in many ways. But I think it's just that every time I speak to someone, it's always the conversation that sort of bubbles up to the surface, whether you've started talking about that or not. He's uh, he's, he's so influential. Um, yes, he is sort of redefining the, the pay structure. But you kind of have to say, it's not like he hasn't deserved it. Um, if you take away his goals and, and, and assists this season, we're certainly not in the mix for, it, for, for for the way we are for, for trying to chase down Man City. We're in a very, very different position. Um, it's got to be the kind of thing, really, hasn't it, Matt, where you say you've got to kind of bow to it, but then it's up to other players to start kicking up their game. It could work in that respect that everyone starts lifting the game because they want to try and get a pay rise. And, 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 and we all prosper, but when you weigh it out, it just doesn't make sense to let this man go, does it? And then try and find someone... With, with with a tenth of his ability that you'll be paying a fortune for. No, and, and that's why I'm I'm not worried yet about it. I think that the closer it gets to the end of, of this season, I think if if you get to the summer and then we're having to have these discussions all summer, whilst obviously PSG, Real Madrid, whoever could come in and, and make an offer for him, I think that's the time to, to really get worried. But at the moment I'm I'm still kind of okay with it. I know it's it's taken a while. I know that you know, things have, have not gone as, as smoothly so far in the negotiations as, as what we would have wanted. You just want it to be tied up as it was with so many other contracts last summer. But I just think when Salah clearly wants to say, he's he said that enough times, why would you want to go anywhere else? Obviously, Liverpool wants him to stay. Jurgen Klopp wants him to stay. And, and when both parties ultimately want the, the same thing, it it would be it would be very strange, I think, to, to not end up giving it to him. I mean... 
I don't think it necessarily comes down just to the money. I think that will be, you know, a, a huge part of it. But even even with the money side of it, I think, you know, if you're Virgil van Dijk or whoever else is on that kind of 200, 250 type mark, if if you said to Virgil van Dijk, well, Mohamed Salah is going to earn about 100 or 150 more than you, or the alternative is that you don't get to play with Mohamed Salah anymore. I think there's there's only really, you know, one outcome from that. I think, you know, it's it, it's pretty obvious that Liverpool wants him to stay as Liverpool teammates want him to stay. And, you know, I think FSG are right to, to be kind of not just giving him what he wants because then you open all sorts of, of avenues for the future. But at the same time, if, if they don't, there's, there's going to be big trouble. Oh, there's going to be big trouble. Yeah, quite right. All right, guys. So I'll just round up them last couple of games. Liverpool-Cardiff is uh, Sunday the 6th of Feb. Liverpool-Leicester, big game, of course, at home is the 10th of Feb. Then we've got the Burnley away game. Uh, Inset, the first of the two games against Inset, the 16th of Feb. Uh, Norwich City, Liverpool, 19th of Feb. Chelsea in the cup final on the 27th of Feb. And then a little matter of West Ham, very much um, a stronger um, possibility than they were in recent seasons coming to Anfield. Jedder Bowen keeps impressing. He could be someone else that he's very much a Jürgen, top, uh, Jürgen Klopp type of player, very industrious, very hardworking. Uh, they are coming and then it's the second leg of Liverpool Inter on the 8th of March. Thanks very much, guys. Well, Luis Diaz is joining um, this band of merry men. We look forward to seeing him uh, dazzling and lighting up Anfield with his amazing little runs and little dinky shots and stuff like that. He looks like everything uh, from what we've seen uh, in a Porto shirt. He looks like everything we need and will want and enjoy playing in a Liverpool shirt. Mark Wakefield, thank you very much, my friend. Have a lovely weekend, pal. Thank you, you too. Thank you. And Matt Addison, much appreciated. Thank you for your expert opinion, guys. That was another Poetry Emotion with me, Neil Fitz. Uh, we look forward to seeing Diaz very, very soon and uh, and, Mar- and Liverpool marching on uh, and hopefully trying to catch up Man City. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, thank you for listening to Poetry Emotion. You've been listening to the Poetry Emotion podcast on the Blood Red channel.